and good afternoon. So I wanted to start by um, inviting, asking you any questions that might have come up for you so far, specifically about mindfulness. So I'm going to talk about mindfulness um, in this talk, and um, I might not answer your questions, but it'll be I might be able to focus what I talk about. So are there any questions that I've come up for you as you as you've been practicing with the instructions and you know trying to be mindful formally informally? Yeah, please. And then Devin will walk around with the. So what I'll do is I'll just kind of take note of the questions, collect them a little bit, and then (coughs) see how we go. Um, So my question is, I've been working with, like, sound as an anchor, as we were instructed earlier today. Um, And I was noticing, like, then I kind of felt like a disembodied head a little bit. So I was trying to like ground myself in my body like okay I know I have a body like I'm paying attention to sound but still be aware that I have a body while I'm doing that which seemed to help um and so but I wasn't sure if there's any other thoughts about that like when when because I'm used to more like using my breath or using my body as an anchor so I was interested in exploring something else but as it was more like external versus internal, I was kind of getting carried away and yeah. how to work with that um, balance, I guess. Okay. Let me just ask you a question about your question. Sure. If you don't mind. So did you feel like you were able to stay fairly present and connected with sound? Well, I think the problem was that I would kind of start to slip away from that connection. Like it was taking me somewhere. Okay. Like, uh, you know, somewhere away and how to stay. It was something about the sound, the focus on sound that was taking me away. And then all of a sudden I was not focused. Yeah. And so I was trying to use my body a little bit to help focus me. But I was wondering if there's any other thoughts about that. Yeah. Great really hard for me not to just answer the question. <laughs> I think I might because it's not going to come up. Uh, so that is like what, what you might notice with each of the anchors. They have different qualities and sometimes kind of impacts on our awareness and uh, our experience. And so sound can have the impact of getting a little spacey because it is quite expansive and spacious. It's also very um, receptive and kind of uh, sitting back quality. So all of that can lead towards more of a spacey quality. So what you did sounds great of bringing in a little bit more like holding a sense of the body with hearing as a way to be more grounded and present. That's great. Another way that can get us, um, so sometimes that spaciness is from like some relaxation, some tranquility, which is wonderful. And sometimes you need to bring up a little bit more, maybe investigation, a little bit more energy. So 
you could track sound more closely for like the very beginning, all the changes within it, and then the moment it ends. So get more of a curious and detailed and specific about uh, the sound as a way to raise the energy and kind of stay more connected. It's another thing to play with and try. Yeah. Great. Thank you. The one back here in the back and then over on the side. <clears throat> Any tips for uh, staying mindful when you're lying down and uh, losing concentration and drifting away? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to try to not answer the question. <laughs> this is the cool. Thank you. There's one over here. Um, I know you or someone touched on the falling asleep issue. Um, and I did, I opened my eyes, I looked up, I opened my hands and I was uncomfortable and then I was asleep and then I was awake and, um, I did lie down after lunch. So, but cause you know, there's nothing to do. So I lay down and then when I got here, I was tired this time I before this, I walked outside to try to wake myself up. But any other tips? And is it really okay to stand up in the middle of a set to wake up? Okay. Thank you. I got curious about creativity. Hmm. As I was walking and placing my foot, I found myself placing my foot in slightly different ways aligning it with my breathing in different ways, almost dancing. Um, And then the same thing comes up with noting my thoughts. Mm. Sometimes they get little titles. Yeah. You know, it's not just thought. It's like, you know, film clip or, you know, something else. So, um, you know, where's the, how much, uh, you know, just around the, what's the space for creativity here? Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. So then there's, we'll kind of come across, we'll go here, here, and then one over here. And that might be, let me go with. Hi. Um, when we first start, like I was out walking, not particularly uh, meditating, but walking out in the woods. Uh-huh. Um, and then I come in, I have a little tea, and then I sit down here. Um, <laughs> how do we start? Do I just sit and see what happens or listen to, you know, I sort of don't know how to, or what to do to start. Yeah, awesome. I love that question. Mm -hmm. I've been practicing for a while, and I have heard that Mindfulness to the body um, can lead to liberation, but sometimes it seems very distant. So I'm wondering if it's possible to remind us of the stages or steps by which noticing the feelings in your feet can lead to liberation. Okay, so just to clarify, you're, you're like, what's the connection between walking slowly and feeling the 
bottoms of my feet and like being free from suffering? Exactly. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Good. Good question. <laughs> Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you. Yeah. Jumping off of Mm -hmm. that last question, um, this one is just super broad, and you are probably planning on touching on this, but basically, why? Why practice mindfulness? What, what, where does it lead us? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Hopefully, I will talk about that. Okay. I've heard mentioned here and in other places about separating the busy mind from your core, I guess you could say it, or Mm. yourself, whatever Mm. it is. Mm. And um, I understand the theory behind it, but I can't do it. Mm. It's either, either it's my busy mind talking to me, and then I notice it, and it goes away and it you know it could take over but um i can't put it in the background okay so when you say busy mind so those terms i don't quote they're not exactly what i'm familiar with Just when, you, when you say busy mind you like the thinking planning discursive yeah discursive thing. and so then but then there's something you're calling cool your what was the other one well so, I don't remember who, but mm-hmm. yesterday someone was using their hands, actually. Mm-hmm. Andrea, yeah. Yeah. Kind of going like that with the hands to separate. Oh, so like the witness, the witness of awareness, witnessing the, the content of awareness. The content is the thinking, the sensations, and there's some quality of witnessing it. Exactly. So, so you're not connecting with the witnessing... Or you just want more clarification on that? I don't. I I see either busy mind doing its thing or nothing. I, uh, I, you know, and yeah. I don't. I don't see that interplay. I guess. So okay, great. Okay. Mm-hmm. May I might. Let's see. Get there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Any last burning question? One more right here. Yeah. And one thing that I'll say is that um, this evening, uh, so this evening, I don't know, we might pull it out after dinner. We're going to have a basket for questions. Um, so you can put questions that come up in your practice. Uh, and in the morning before the instruction period, we'll take that in. And whoever's doing the instruction period will read those and try to answer some of the questions. Or we might kind of pass them on to the next days if they're relevant. Um, We'll try to get to a lot of them. We probably won't get to all of them, but that'll be an opportunity for you to also, as if you have questions, to put them in there. So it'll be on the shelf right up there. Hi. Hi. How do I know if I'm doing meditation right, and how do I know if I'm making progress? Yeah. Yeah. You. Yes. <laughs> Is the answer. <laughs> yeah. So we'll talk, let's see, that might be a later question, that's a really important question, and it's also a great question to bring to your group. Um, to, so we'll orient us a little bit to this, 
for the next two days, everyone will have a chance to be in a small group meeting with a teacher. And those meetings will be about an hour. In other words, like five to seven people in each group. So in that practice group, you can talk specifically about what's happening in your practice and get some direct feedback and advice about it. So that's a really great place to bring a question like that to. And we'll talk, we'll touch on that some in the generalities, but it might be helpful to, to share. And that's kind of what we're doing there is just finding out like what specifically is happening in your practice so we can help uh, support your path. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but usually the answer to am I doing it right is yes, with maybe a little caveat. It's like you're perfect. What is that? You're perfect, but you could be a little bit more perfect or something. Or you could use a little improvement. You're already perfect, but you could use a little improvement. But there's room for improvement. Okay. <laughs> but there's room for improvement. So something like that, yeah. Um, so you'll see on the board when you leave that there's a list for the groups for tomorrow. So half of you will have a group tomorrow. And if your name is not on the board today, then that means on Thursday you'll have a group. So if your name's not on the board, don't worry, you'll be on the next day. And if for some reason you aren't on tomorrow or Thursday, then leave us a note on Thursday and let us know. So you have that um, time to also kind of go into the specifics of your practice and what's happening. And then we're, we will have some one-on-one sign-ups later in the week, too. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Thanks for sharing your questions. It's really helpful to kind of get a sense of what you're practicing with and what you're working with. Yeah. Okay, so we'll see. We'll see how this all gets mixed in. Some of the questions that you're asking we might answer in the morning practice period tomorrow. Um, yeah. So I'm going to talk about mindfulness and what does it mean. Um, it's a little... As I was thinking about this talk, I, I, mindfulness is like... Um, my experience with it feels a little bit like art. Like the, it just keeps expanding the depth of it and how one could define it or experience it. it. It's like, you know, I guess you could say, so for 30 years now, to some degree, I've been exploring what mindfulness means. And I really, truly feel like I get deeper, another understanding or perspective all the time. All the time. So that's just one framing for what I'll try to raise here. Um, so what I figured I'd start with is um, is what the uh, John Kabat-Zinn's definition of mindfulness. So I'm imagining many people have heard of John Kabat-Zinn, and he because he really popularized mindfulness in the secular world. He developed mindfulness-based stress reduction, and then that really has been like a leader that's allowed that's brought mindfulness into uh, the wider culture in the U.S. and beyond, to schools and uh, all sorts of settings. So the definition that John uses that's often like what commonly comes to mind for people 
Mindfulness is awareness that arises through paying attention on purpose in the present moment, non-judgmentally. So paying attention, present moment, non-judgmental. Those are qualities that are really highlighted in that. Um, And then this one article that I was reading to get this quote, he added, and I actually haven't heard John add this before, so this I appreciated. He said, and then sometimes I add that that paying attention is in the service of self-understanding and wisdom. That that paying attention is in the service of understanding and wisdom. And I, that feels vitally important to me, that addition. And may, that might be part of what makes uh, the distinction in many ways about what's emphasized in a secular setting and what we're gonna, what we emphasize here, in um, in a Buddhist setting, where we're referencing uh, much more of what the Buddha was teaching beyond just this quality of being present. So that's really a lot of what I want to unpack. It's like, what does that mean, understanding and wisdom? How are we using mindfulness towards that aim? So first, let's, let's kind of go with the basics. Um, Presence, present moment. Mindfulness is present moment. And I think it's so important and useful to just remind yourself, like, in a split second, that we know what that is. In a split second, you're here. So just, just like, let yourself, like, trust. Oh, yeah, I know what being present is. Yep, I'm here. What's that? It's like quite simple, fundamental. So trusting, yeah, I know what that means, to be present, to be here, to feel what's happening in this moment, whatever it is, wherever the attention goes in this present moment. And and we start to get just the clarity between what that means, the present moment or the presence, versus when we're in the busy mind. When we're sucked into, you know, Tar Brock uh, calls it the trance. That kind of planning, thinking, worrying. Like, that's kind of the distinction, then we just come present here. And just letting yourself kind of play with that a little bit in this moment. So that's an important part. It's definitely an important part of mindfulness presence here now. We can all do that. There's also this quality of attention. Paying attention. When uh, I teach teenagers, when we teach teenagers, we talk a lot about that. Like, what does that mean? Like, how many times are we told, pay attention? but we're never taught how to pay attention. So just like now, like just notice what is your attention. And one way that I think about it or can be described is attention is just the quality that um, connects with an experience that's happening. 
So right now, and you're playing with that with the anchors, can bring our attention to sound. And then you can bring your attention to your right foot. And you could bring your attention into your emotional body. Often for many of us, that's like the trunk. or So you bring your attention there and just feel, are there any emo- emotions present right now? You can bring your attention to the feeling of in your nose of the breath. So attention is part of this. We're using that ability to direct our attention, this quality of attention, to connect with experience as part of mindfulness. So it's the tension is an aspect of it. And then another aspect that's important for mindfulness is the ability to kind of stay to so there we, one term that's often used is you aim and then sustain the attention. Aim and sustain. In many ways, that's probably like all that you did all morning was aim, try to sustain, get lost, re-aim, try to sustain, get lost. That's a lot of what we're doing. And sometimes that quality of sustaining, we might call that um, more the quality of concentration, focus, or stable attention. And that's slightly different. I would say that's slightly different than mindfulness. But they work hand in hand. They're so important <clears throat> together. So to be able to be mindful, we do need... Uh, some level of stable attention. So that's why we choose an anchor and we keep coming back to it. So the first part of the answer to, like, what is touch, feeling the bottom of my foot as I walk have to do with being free is, well, one thing that we're doing with that is we're developing stable attention. We're developing this, the strength or the skill of Focus, concentration, samadhi. So, and that matters. So it really is like uh, with a flashlight. So mindfulness is the light, and you're going to like shine it on something so that you can investigate it, develop wisdom, understanding. But if, you know, if you're like just shaking the thing all around, you're not going to see, you can't see. Even if my, oh, I think that was, oh, oh, right? That's, anyone feel like that was your experience this morning? (laughs) Yeah. That's like often when we begin retreat, it's like that. And also, unfortunately, like that's kind of what often we're training our minds more and more and more and more. Like the way that we use technology in our lives is like 
but like we're training ourselves to do that in many ways. So really developing the steadiness to direct the light on one object and stay there long enough to examine it matters. So that's the going hand in hand. And that's why we choose an anchor often in the beginning when we practice. All we're trying to do is just gather that attention and settle it on something very simple, the breath, sensations in our body, the sounds, just to build the skill of sustaining attention. And so it is twofold. It's a skill of sustaining attention that we're going to use, and I'll talk about how we're going to use it. But the other thing that's pretty amazing is doing that feels really good. Has any, did anyone experience that? Like at some level, yeah, great. You get some level of gathered attention, and it feels really good. Oh my God. Like every time I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, this is so good. I need more of this. You know, the discipline to just sustain the attention. I mean, even in daily life, I think about um, when I make the discipline to like, not multitask, to just decide I'm gonna, for this hour I'm going to do this one thing and I'm not going to check my email, my phone's going to be hidden, I'm not going to get any texts or pings or pongs. At the end of that hour, I often feel like energized and it feels good. So it's a pretty interesting thing about our nervous systems that gathering our attention, bringing it on a simple, neutral object feels good. It's kind of like working out or something, or if you like working out, exercise, whatever it is, like, you know, it might be kind of hard to do, you got to get yourself into it, and then you're like, oh, that felt really good. Like you get the endorphins going or something. You can kind of get a similar experience from concentration and focus. So that's a great thing to do, and it's really valuable, especially um, the first days of retreat, the beginning of your meditation practice, like each time you sit down, probably it would be helpful to emphasize the gathering of attention for at least 5, 10, 15 minutes. Just so you get you build the, the focus of the uh, flashlight and also you just kind of settle your system. But we, that's, that's concentration. So that isn't mindfulness, but they go together. Yeah. So then what is the mindfulness part? The mindfulness part is the, is the looking and exploring and being with and examining to some degree. Okay, there is a different term for examining. If we get deep into like Buddhist psychology is like so nuanced and so I'll try not to too complex with it, but there is a different quality for the real investigative quality, and Devin will talk about this this week. Um, but mindfulness does have a quality of what we might call comprehension, clear comprehension. So this is the point that I really want to emphasize. It's not just being present, the bare attention of knowing what's happening in the present moment. That matters. We know what's happening in the present moment. But it also has a quality. It's called clear comprehension. And that's 
quality is understanding the nature of what's happening. It has a kind of wisdom aspect to it. So mindfulness does have the mindfulness that we're practicing within the Buddhist path has wisdom embedded in it. Embedded in it and as its purpose. And so what are we what are we clearly knowing? So there's a clear comprehension, understanding. Mindfulness also, there's um, part of the etymology has a quality of remembering. Remembering or keeping in mind. So again, this is to highlight to you that mindfulness is not just this bare attention, like I feel my butt on the, I feel my foot on the floor. So what? You know, okay, cool, but now what? It is cool. The now what is, okay, starting to understand the nature of our experience. And there's particular things that we can look at within the nature of our experience. Big picture, the so what, is we want to be present and paying attention, seeing what's happening, because we want to understand what leads to happiness and what leads to suffering. That's why we're doing this. What, why, what leads me to be unhappy and to suffer? And what leads me to be happy and feel happiness and at ease for myself and others? I mean, I, would, I might propose, it's kind of like a bold statement, that, but that that's like, in an ultimate way, what we're all trying to do all the time. In a kind of fundamental way, all the time, we're just trying to be happy at ease, more peaceful, to not be in pain, to not suffer. So everything that we do is toward that aim in some way. And so that's the point of mindfulness. It's like, okay, great. This is what the Buddha was talking about. He's like, all right, right. He, He was suffering. He saw people suffering. He was like, why am I suffering? How do I get free of this suffering? And so he went on this journey and really looked really closely at his own mind, and he saw. And we, the thing that's so cool is we don't have to just believe it, but we can. He, he's not just saying, here, I'll, I'll show you what it is. He's like, here, I'll show you how to see it for yourself. Because it doesn't actually matter if I tell you and you understand it. You have to go see it directly for yourself. So he gave us the tool of mindfulness to see directly for ourselves what leads us to happiness and what leads us to suffering? So that's what we're trying to do with this practice. I keep coming back to that bottom of your foot question because I really resonate with that. You know, how many hours have I sat, spent walking back and forth? And I actually have a hard time with walking meditation in general. Um, and totally, so many times been like, wait, what? What does this have to do with anything? Um, and so one thing that it has to do with is that settling of the mind and just bringing the attention into the body. Uh, and that does reduce suffering often. 
because it brings it out of the busy mind that is often what is creating the suffering. Often there's no suffering happening right now. The my, my mind is just making it up. So it was, I've been really exploring this quite directly. Um, I, unfortunately, didn't give my cell phone away um, in that ceremony. And... Uh, prepping my talk, and then I was just like, oh, well, I'll just, I'll just check my email for a second, just, you know. And this particular email, actually, it was like a tax thing. It's like, it's time to put your taxes into the tax system thing. Suffering. <laughs> right? Immediately, it was like, oh, my God. Wait, what? How do I get that thing? And then, and then, and then wait, how do you do that thing? How, what's the schedule C? Oh, my, like, Suffering. Total suffering. I wasn't, I wasn't suffering before that. I'd had a lovely time writing my talk and being focused and then suffering. And it, what happened? It was just that the mind went into its spin. And so then what, what did I do? I walk over here and it's like, okay, mindfulness of the body. I'm going to bring my attention quite firmly into my body, feel my legs moving, feel my feet walking on the path. And just say, like, we're not going there right now. That's not, there, there's no happiness in thinking about my taxes right now. Like, nothing. I'm not going to do anything constructive. Like, right? There's literally nothing positive about that. And having the feed to bring my attention to settled the whole system and brought me back to a kind of reality. Oh, yeah, the, here I am. I'm walking. I'm in the woods. And then I felt the coolness on my face, some sprinkles of the snow. Well, actually, it's quite pleasant to be here in the quiet, hearing some of the animal sounds. Oh, this is quite pleasant. Right? So just that, it's like brings us back to a sense of reality and the happiness that is actually available right here, right now. It's peace. That's one thing. And then the other thing when we pay attention, so, oh no, Devin's going to talk about the three characteristics. Yeah. And Andrea is going to talk about the seven factors. So Andrea is going to talk about investigation. Devin's going to talk about the three characteristics. So what we can pay attention to is the three characteristics. And Devin will go into this a lot. Those are impermanence. So in anything that we're paying attention to, like the bottom of our foot, we can notice that it's changing. There really isn't anything that stays constant. It's changing, 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 changing. And really getting that at a deep level is a big part of freedom. It's a big part of freedom. It's a big part of liberation and wisdom. Because so much of our suffering comes from the impermanence. When impermanence becomes more vividly apparent about something that we were sort of unconsciously taking to be permanent. Like, in your favorite 
cup breaks or when someone that we love dies or when our child grows up or when the beautiful honeymoon phase of a relationship is over. Right? Some part of our mind is thinking like this, this is permanent. We weren't paying attention to impermanence. And so we suffer. Right? So a lot of what we can do here is notice impermanence. The other qualities are unsatisfactoriness and uh, not-self. But I'll let Devin dig into that more deeply. But we can pay attention to those qualities in anything. So in the feeling of the foot on the ground, in the breath, in a sound, any object actually can show us the truth of impermanence, not-self, and unsatisfactoriness when we cling to it. Okay, so that's on a very subtle level, and that's what's, it's beautiful to be able to do that. But I also invite you, as you go through your day, as the mind gets a little bit more settled and quiet, you can, you can track at, like, the bigger level, like, um, you know, like for me, being like, all of a sudden I'm stressed and unhappiness. Like, oh, wait, what happened? I opened my email and I read the tax thing. <laughs> well, that's what happened. Why did I open my email? What was happening then? I lost mindfulness. Because if I had really been mindful in that moment, why would I open my email? <laughs> right? There's like no... Wisdom would not have opened the email. So clearly it was a lapse in mindfulness right there. I don't know what was happening because I wasn't paying attention. So that's a big part of this. When we build up the momentum of really paying attention, we have less lapses where we either miss the choice point and what would be wisdom or not wisdom, and also what's happening. Like maybe in that moment, um, who knows, often there might be a little unpleasantness happened or um, who knows, maybe a little loneliness I felt. And instead of just being with the loneliness, I was like, oh, I'll check my email, right? But I missed the loneliness and I didn't just hold that. So then I created more suffering. So that's a lot. Like the more that we can have this continuous mindfulness, the more we can make choices that don't contribute to suffering, and the more we can be with the suffering that arises in a way that actually leads to its lessening. Yeah, so that, that, before I just stripped out of this again, what I want to say is like mindfulness for the purpose of understanding and wisdom. So that's why we're doing this, is to understand and develop wisdom. 
and then to act in more alignment with what our ultimate purpose is. So I propose that your ultimate purpose, that all of our ultimate purpose is to be happy, but that might not be true for you. So you could decide at any given moment, like, what is my purpose? And mindfulness can help you to orient towards that. It also can help you to orient towards your values, your ethics. That's the remembering part. What do I value? How do I want to be? Mindfulness can remind me, oh, I want to be compassionate. I want to cause less harm. I want to be more truthful. I really care about um, connection with people. You know, things like this. And mindfulness can remind me, hey, remember, that's what you care about. So you have a choice point right now. Let's act in accordance with that. So it's something that can support you and your purpose and your values in any given moment. And so along that line, mindfulness is often talked about as having this very protective quality. It's a protector. One of the metaphors that's in the commentaries is of a, um, a gatekeeper, that mindfulness is this wise gatekeeper at a fortress, like in a, um, the edge of the frontier. So say there's a fortress. The gatekeeper is standing up there deciding who comes in and out. And that's like deciding who comes in and out of our mind is what's happening. So mindfulness is tracking. That looks like an unsavory character. Like you're not allowed. You, yes, come on in. You know. So that's part of its quality is to track what we're allowing in and out of our minds. And so that's to, to help you to think. Like, so mindfulness is not that passive quality. It's not the, the gatekeeper is not just sitting there being like, just bear attention on who's coming and going. Mindfulness is knowing who it wants in or out and making decisions about that. Okay. Um, and then mindfulness can have different qualities. So... Um, Andrea was really highlighting in the beginning of practice the um, the usefulness of putting in a lot of effort. So sometimes we need to put a lot of energy and effort into our mindfulness, uh, especially the beginning of retreat. Uh, you could probably think about a lot of times, like when you're particularly busy or stressed, or you might know situations where your mind is gonna. You might have a tendency to like make really dumb decisions, right? Or do things that you're not happy you did later. So in those kinds of situations, you need to have very ardent mindfulness, strong energy of the mindfulness. Okay, And so the metaphor for that um, is of a cow herder. The, the Buddha talked about this metaphor of a cow herder. It says, just as in the last month of the rainy season, in the autumn, when the crops thicken, a cow herd, herder would guard his cows by constantly tapping and poking them on this side and that with a stick to check and curb them. Why is that? Because he sees that he could be flogged, imprisoned, fined, or blamed if he let them stray into the crops. This is the Buddha talking about his own mind. So too I saw in unwholesome states danger, degradation, and defilement 
And in wholesome states, the blessing of renunciation, the aspect of cleansing. And so what he's saying there is like when we can see that our mind is kind of riled up or there's qualities in there that are not that helpful, like the hindrances, and Bruni will talk to us about the hindrances, that's when we have to be really careful of very strong mindfulness. Like, uh uh-oh, danger. Pay very close attention, right? Don't let the cows of your mind stray over into the crops. We need to be constantly poking and prodding it. But the more that we cultivate mindfulness in all of these positive qualities of mind, the settledness, the more that we um, develop all the values that we want to cultivate, the beautiful qualities of mind, then there are these periods when we, we don't need as much effort. And I hope that each of us has that experience while you're on retreat. Some moments where the mind has that sense of being a little bit purified, where you can, like as Andrea said, you can kind of coast. You don't have to be quite so intense about the mindfulness. So here's the metaphor. Just as in the last month of the hot season, when all the crops have been brought inside the villages, a cowherd would guard his cows while staying at the root of a tree or out in the open since he needs only be mindful that the cows are there. So too, there was a need for me only to be mindful that those states were there. So in this, what he's saying is that when we're not worried that our mind is going to get into trouble, you know, maybe there's kind of a quiet or some positive qualities of mind present, the mindfulness knows what the mind is doing. It's a cow herder of the mind. Then it can just sit back on a tree in the shade and just kind of take it in. It doesn't have to be poking and prodding experience. So just knowing that mindfulness can have that quality of sitting back and just taking it in. You can play with that over the course of the retreat. You might notice like at a certain time of the day, when the mind doesn't seem to be getting into too much trouble, and you can just have a more relaxed, sit-back quality of mindfulness. But again, the Buddha highlighted this, this, the sitting back, was after tireless energy was aroused in me, and unremitting mindfulness was established. My body was tranquil and untroubled. My mind concentrated and unified. So just pointing out that we do have to put, put in the effort to get to, to those states. So, yeah. So the other thing that I wanted to talk about was that come to this question around the busy mind and the not and the, the witness. So I think there's this interesting thing about mindfulness that um, it feels like we go on this journey. So before we practice, we're, um, like as Andrea was saying, we're kind of embedded in experience and just caught in it, completely like overwhelmed or sort of drowning in whatever the experience is, like the busy mind, the anger, the sadness, the wanting. 
And so the first step with mindfulness is that we separate out the quality of attention or consciousness, the ability to know what's happening, and the experience itself. So this is something that we can do. We can, just as Andrea was talking, and I'm imagining many of us have had this or will have this experience while we're here, that, oh, I can have the experience of being angry, can have the experience of being sad. I can even have the experience of being tired and yet have a sense of being aware and conscious of the tiredness without being just swept away or embedded in it. Right? And so this is a really powerful technique and thing to know that is possible and to develop the ability. You know, in the, I do a lot of um, work in internal family systems. It's a therapeutic approach. One thing we call that is unblending. You unblend from the experience so that you can witness it. And we want to witness. That's how you see, right? Like, <laughs> like that you can't see. So this, it's like this. Okay, all right, gotcha. Right? To be able to see, we need to do that, to understand. So that's the first, that's this like kind of first step of mindfulness. And then we pay attention and we come to understand what's happening here. What's this about? What causes this? What's its nature? When I do this with this, what happens? Right? So there's a real curiosity and investigation quality. But then there's also what I find, just offer this, that as we continue with our practice, there then does seem to be a stage where it comes back together. So there's a, this time of space and witnessing, and then this quality when it becomes much more non-dual, once the wisdom has been cultivated, that we come back into this like deep intimacy with experience, and the mindfulness becomes much more of this very intimate, non-dual kind of experience. But because the wisdom has been cultivated, we don't get swept away. Like this is that quality. Like we talk a lot about, there's a lot of spiritual metaphors about surfing where you're really on the edge of the wave. Just surfing. You're not falling into it. You're not falling out of it. I don't surf, but I could imagine what that is like. Yeah, just right there. And that's when we get some of this um, profound, profound insights. The, there's a um, sutta, it's called the Bahya Sutta. The Buddha tells, so Bahya is a person. Um, and Bahya tells, the Buddha tells Bahya, because basically he's asking, like, how do I get free? Like, which is kind of what everyone's always asking. The Buddha says, in the seeing Bahya, there will be only what is seen. In the heard, only what is heard. In the cognized, only what is cognized. At which point you are neither here nor yonder nor between the two. And just this is the end of suffering, Bahia. In the seen, only what is seen. In the heard, only what is heard. And the cognized, only what is cognized. 
You are neither here nor yonder nor between the two. This is the end of suffering. Is there some way that the mindfulness then actually comes back into a unified quality, a non-separate? a moment, like if that lands for just a moment, a glimpse of what that might be, notice what that might feel like. If you glimpse what that, that might mean, how that feels in your body and mind. To close with this reflection um, that for me, especially as we get to, well, all the way along with mindfulness, that it is like love. It's also very much like love because when I think about when do I feel uh, loved, when someone's paying attention, when someone's present in a steady, consistent way, when I feel like they're curious about me. They're really attuned and attending. And that's the quality of mindfulness. So we're practicing how to love, how to be good, loving friends, partners, parents, in doing this. And we're learning how to love every single moment of our experience. And so part of that is telling, showing our experience that it matters. That every, it all matters, that I matter. That my feelings, my thoughts, my sensations matter. That life matters. It matters enough to pay this close attention. And also, we're not going to abandon it. I'm not going to abandon you. Sometimes I tell that to you. What's happening inside of me? I'm here. I'm not going to abandon you. And I can make that commitment if I cultivate mindfulness to stay. Yeah. So really it's becoming... It's both allowing yourself to become in love with every moment. And I really encourage you in whatever ways you can... If it's helpful for you to orient in that way, you know, sometimes I like to think of it like I'm letting the breath seduce me. Just let it have that quality of wanting to be with out of joy, out of love, out of desire to be connected. So am I doing it right? You know, if you notice that you're here a little bit more often, and if you notice what's causing you suffering, and if sometimes you notice that you make choices that cause less suffering, 
That's like what I track. So let's sit with this and see what other questions get answered as we go along. Take a few minutes to sit together. So making a choice, where would you like to rest your attention in this moment? Thank you for your attention. I hope you enjoyed dinner and just again as much as possible, like enjoy your time. Yeah. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.